my body feels good. That was really nice. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm really moved by so much of what I'm seeing among us so far. There's a, a Zen story that a, a student had been uh, working with a teacher for a long time and the teacher began to think, this student is, is maybe ready to become a teacher themselves. So he invited the student to come to visit him. And it was a rainy day and the student came in, sat down in front of the teacher. The teacher said, when you came in the door, did you put your umbrella to the right or to the left of your shoes? And the student didn't know. And so the teacher said, not quite yet, <laughs> not quite yet. So shoe meditation, I noticed that we're practicing shoe meditation very beautifully here. There's a Zen saying, show me your shoes and I'll show you your mind. Can we take off our shoes and place our shoes with the same care that we would pick up a newborn baby? It's so fun to see that happening so lovely to see people taking the long way to the meditation hall. Beautiful way, along with the view, instead of the quick way. It just makes me so happy. <clears throat> One other practice I want to mention is, you, you, you might see us doing a lot of this in, in Zen. What does that mean? Because, you know, in, in the West, Usually when someone bows, it means I'm putting myself below you in some way. But not for us. What this means is, together with all beings, the divine nature in me recognizes the divine nature in you. The deepest part of me sees the deepest part of you, and this is an acknowledgement of that. Well, silence. What a day for silence, isn't it? This change of the weather and the cool air, the beautiful, beautiful scenery around us. And I think silence is a human gift that has been practiced everywhere, always. You know, it's practiced in Zen monasteries, of course. And you, you look around at the architecture of a Zen monastery, particularly a Japanese one, and it's, there's silence in the architecture itself. It's very spare. The garden is a rock garden. The cushions are placed just so. Silence. The Taoists and the Buddhists have been living silently in caves in China for millennia, and they're still there. This is still a live tradition going on. You can go and visit those people in little hermitages, in caves, high up in the mountains. Christian contemplatives have been practicing silence again for millennia, the desert mothers and fathers, the silent Catholic orders, Quakers, like I grew up. Muslims are practicing this right now. Allah made a retreat to the desert, just like Jesus. Ramadan, a time of fasting, of letting go, of silencing the mind. When the Sufis 
whirling. Jews practicing it, Sabbath days. We have so much to learn from our Jewish brothers and sisters about this. So much to learn. The keeping of kosher. What a beautiful way to quiet our wants by saying, no, we do that within this framework. We don't do anything outside of that. And it's not just religious communities. Secular communities practice silence. I live on Guimas Island, just right over there. And we have a lot of hermits. And I count myself among them. It's mostly people who have kind of eddied out. They live in the woods. We see them every once in a while. They drive the 64 Chevrolet pickup truck that's rusting through and has ferns growing out of the bumper. They go 15 miles an hour. We, we pull over and get out of the way. You know, you think about people like the science researchers that go to the Arctic or the Antarctic and live completely cut off for months at a time because weather makes it impass- impossible. I think of the beat poets going up to the fire lookouts in the 60s and the 50s and making that their silent retreat. So it's everywhere, this practice of silence. Think for a moment, what is your practice of silence? How do you do this? How do you embody this fundamental human quality that we have of entering silence and appreciating what we see? If you don't know right away, Maybe it's an invitation to become curious. What works for you? John O'Donohue wrote, may you open the gift of solitude in order to receive your soul. Enter the generosity of silence to hear your hidden heart know the serenity of stillness to be enfolded anew by the miracle of your being. Know the serenity of of stillness to be enfolded anew by the miracle of your being. But you know, a silent life isn't a total contemplative life. It's not enough. Silence alone can be an escape from reality. We call that spiritual bypassing. And we might use silence as a way to withdraw from the difficult things that we need to attend to. So it's not the end. It's the means. Silence is not the end, it's the means. And and my Zen practice is an engaged practice, but I had to find that. Being a, a highly sensitive hermit myself, I took to meditation. Boy, did I take to meditation. And the more hours, the better. 
But luckily, I was sitting on the cushion after some years of this, and I stopped being able to do that. There was something wrong. There's something like you mentioned, fidgety. Uh, that's what I was. It was fidgety. I needed to get out there and engaged. I began to realize that it was a sort of a self-indulgence that I just sat there hour after hour. So I got off the cushion and I went to the local hospital and I said, I hear that you have a volunteer chaplaincy program. Is that possible for me to do that? And started a whole career for me. So our silence gives us the ability to serve this busy world. And hopefully we can do that without losing our silence because they need us. They need our silent foundation. Uh, our order that Gail and I are ordained in was founded for this very reason by Thich Nhat Hanh in Vietnam when he had a group of people that were caring for the bombed out villages and the people who were killed and wounded. They would go in and they would care for them. They would rebuild the villages until they were bombed again. And then they'd go back and rebuild again. And they discovered that without a weekly day of mindfulness, a, a day set aside for quiet, for silence, for contemplation, that that work was unsustainable. So Thich Nhat Hanh was not the first to discover this, but he implemented it in a way that I really appreciate. And in our order, we commit to spending 60 days a year in silence. This is by uh, Martha Postolate, it's called Clearing. <clears throat> do not try to save the whole world or do anything grandiose. Instead, Create a clearing in the dense forest of your life and wait there patiently until the song that is your life falls into your own cupped hands and you recognize and you greet it. Only then will you know how to give yourself to this world so worthy of rescue. cultivating of silence in order to be helpful in the world is the teaching of Mother Mary, the teaching of the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara. Their practice is to be still and listen deeply until right action shows itself to you. And then you take that right action with confidence. This is the meaning of true contemplative silence. It's not self-indulgent, it's preparatory so that we can be helpful in the world.
So maybe it's the case that silence is our natural state. If you think about humans up until when we knew humans, when we came on the scene, humans lived in harmony with nature. And nature is not a loud and busy place. Nature is a very quiet place. It's mostly silent. Our ears were designed to hear very subtle sounds out of the silence. The snapping of a twig in the forest that might mean, hmm, what's there? The sound of prey moving. The sound of the birds flying up to indicate there might be something there for us to pick, some berries. And I think our minds were also designed this way, if there's a designer of a mind, to be able to see the thoughts that arise very subtly from silence. So when this thought arises, we know it arises because there is the listening space cleared around it. But now we live lives filled with busyness, filled with thoughts, filled with activities and sounds, it's harder for us. I think it's harder for us to be our true selves, the selves that we have inherited from countless generations of our ancestors. But we can do it. And one of the things that people notice oftentimes when they begin to touch their internal silence is that it can be frightening. Yeah. You know, you're here because you're interested in silence. If you weren't, you wouldn't come, right? So we're, we're sort of self-selected. And so you probably are welcoming this. But at some level, you may notice that there's a little bit of fear of the silence in there. Who am I without all these thoughts? Who am I without all this planning? So our silence might be the silence of the open prairie, or it might be the silence that says, oh no, here's that fear I've been holding all my life that I don't want to see and in the silence, it can now present itself. Yeah. And if that happens, wonderful. Whenever I have someone come to me and say, oh my gosh, this stuff is coming up and it's just so hard, I don't know what to do about all this stuff. And I just say, great. It's been there all along. You just didn't know it. And now you know it. What a gift but it's still, it's hard. And I really want to acknowledge that it's hard. And we often just don't want to face ourselves. And every one of us has difficulties in us that we don't want to face. Every one of us. There's no escaping this. So you can drop that, that need to have a facade right now <clears throat> because we're all a mess. And the sooner we see that, the happier we're gonna be because there's nothing left to protect. Oh, that's my mess. 
Huh, okay, wow. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> Usually we create a level of internal noise to cover that up. Everybody does it differently, but we create that internal noise so that we don't have to feel that fear or that anxiety or that anger or whatever it is that we're carrying. So our practice of opening up this listening space like this is tough because we see things we don't necessarily want to see, but to see them is to transform them. They're already there. And when we do that, then we clear the listening space of some of that stuff. We begin to transform it. And then the joy is right there for us to let in. The fallacy is if we keep ourselves all busy and filled, we won't feel the bad stuff. But the trouble is we don't feel the good stuff either. We're too busy to notice the changing color of the maple tree and to hear the herons squabbling over here because we're shutting it all out with our busy mind. Franz Kafka wrote, you do not need to leave your room. Remain sitting at your table and listen. Don't even listen, simply wait. Don't even wait, be quiet, still, solitary. The world will freely offer itself to you to be unmasked. It has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. I'd like to talk a little bit about outer silence and inner silence. So let's start with outer silence. We can make a silent environment for ourselves. It's part of what we've done here on this retreat. We've agreed to the way we're going to be together and it creates a silent environment. The way we've created this room, the way Shannon has created this room, is so beautiful and peaceful and silent. So living simply is a way of creating outer silence. In Zen, we live by what are called precepts. They are, if you're a lay practitioner, five. Uh, in our order, we have 14. If we're living in a monastery, it's more than 200. But these precepts are, how do we say this? They are restrictions on our behavior. That's the way I first encountered them. So for instance, um, one of my precepts is the vow to speak truthfully and lovingly. So I can't tell a fib. So it feels like uh, a restriction, but it's actually a liberation. Because now I don't have to be worried that I'm telling one person one thing, another person another thing, and I gotta keep track of those two different stories. But a precept 
as a way of simplifying our life and making our life more silent. Yeah. So, in contrast to that, I really like going to Manhattan. Right? <clears throat> I live on a little quiet little island, and there's another island on the other coast that's about the same size, but vastly different. Vastly different. And I, surprisingly, I love going there. I love going to the museums. I love walking down the sidewalk with all the energy. There's a clarity to the whole thing. I kind of like it. I get, I get my inner New Yorker on. <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> but I noticed something. I can last about two days, maybe three, in Manhattan before I need a day of silence. All that energy of that busy environment waters seeds of greed in me, grasping, unhappiness. So I recognize that, that um, Manhattan's busyness has its beauty, but it's not a simple life. I couldn't live there. So I come home to Guimas Island, and I sit on my porch, and I watch the nothing. And it's so delicious. Then I go back to Manhattan. <laughs> but you can become addicted to a place like Manhattan, which I think of as a symbol of, I can become addicted to that, you know, that oh, I'll go to any Broadway show I want any time. I can go to the Met day after day after day and stand there and look at Van Gogh. But it's not a silent life. It's a life that would deplete me. And it's a metaphor for my own mind. A mind like that depletes me. So that's a silent environment. I can also talk about external silence as silent behavior. It's one of the things we're doing here by not speaking. We're creating external silence with our behavior. The very first transmission from teacher to student that the Buddha did was to a monk named Mahakasapa. And the Buddha gave a talk in which he simply picked up, I don't have one here, he picked up a flower and he held it up. There's 500 or so monks gathered there. And the Buddha just holds this flower up like this. And Mahakasapa smiled. No one else smiled. Mahakasapa saw. Silent behavior was the first transmission. Thich Nhat Hanh has transmitted to many people with his silent behavior. I've been with Thich Nhat Hanh in many rooms this size and larger. And there'll be sometimes hundreds of people in the room. And out of sight, Thich Nhat Hanh would walk in the room, you would know it immediately. Immediately. Because of the power of his steps. It was amazing. So silent behavior becomes a really important part of creating a silence, silence inside of us. I'm thinking about uh, going to Garrison Institute. It's a, uh, uh, on the Hudson River in upstate New York. 
and it was a Catholic monastery, and now it's a Zen practice center. And it's big. There's floor after floor after floor of monks' cells. And we stay in those monks' cells when we're there. And these old floors, they squeak. So you walk down the And so making a practice of walking silently on the floor was a lovely practice to have. I noticed it was quieter if I moved to the side so I could walk silently, create a silent environment, not impose on the people who were around me with me barging down, not knowing that I was squeaking the floor. We can do that the way we come in and out of this room. We can open and close the door with love and silence. This vast tide land out here, it carries a lot of water, but it silently ebbs and silently flows. A small little brook makes a lot of noise. We can hear the fountain over here. It makes more noise than this huge bay. So we can not disturb the world and make an outer silence. So how about an inner silence? Inner silence is supported by an outward environment, but you can have inner silence even in a busy environment. And we do that by slowing our momentum in the ways we've been talking about. Did you notice that the whole group arrived five minutes early today for this time? Did you notice how that changed things for all of us? I really felt it. I felt that by the, by the time Vicki started, we were, oh, we were here. Lovely. We created the inner silence by slowing our momentum, by not arriving at the last second with the rushing energy of, oh my gosh, I gotta go, I gotta get my seat, I gotta, I gotta go off the whistle. No, we just were here, boom. We can also slow the momentum of our mind, not just our body. So I'm thinking about my mind, some of the momentum is it wants to think about the past often revise the past so I look better in it. Or it wants to think about the future, plan the future so that I don't look bad there. Got a theme? (laughs) Noticing. (laughs) But we can learn not to do that. And we can learn to actually be present where we are in our mind. And that is a wonderful kind of silence. Actually, living doesn't take that much thinking. It really doesn't. As we say in Zen, this is it. This, right now. Not then. This. William Stafford wrote a poem I love called Any Morning. Just lying on the couch and being happy, only humming a little, the quiet sound in the head. Trouble is busy elsewhere at the moment. It has so much to do in the world. 
People who might judge are mostly asleep. They can't monitor you all the time, and sometimes they forget. When dawn flows over the hedge, you can get up and act busy. Little corners like this, pieces of heaven left lying around, can be picked up and saved. People won't even see that you have them. They're so light and easy to hide. Later in the day, you can act like the others. You can shake your head. You can frown. That's Any Morning by William Stafford. So just like sitting on the cushion and finding that contemplative space, our inner silence isn't for our own benefit alone. It's for the benefit of everyone. At the end of our sitting sessions in Zen, we, we, we chant this, we say, may the merit of this practice benefit all beings and bring peace. May whatever I think I gained personally in this practice, this moment, this silence, may I recognize that that is not for me, that is for us. And everyone needs each other to build that silence. We can't do this alone. So we're all cultivating it and we're all giving it away. And you are a very important part of that cultivation. Without your cultivation, I can't know deep silence. I need you and you need me. I've spoken of silence as though it takes a lot of effort, but it really doesn't. It's what's left over when our effort stops. It's always there. And so we practice the effort of slowing our momentum so that we have the ease of the silence. We go together, hand in hand. Transforming all these habits we have of busyness of filling our mind, of filling our lives, that takes effort. But the fruit of that takes no effort at all. It's such a joy. And I'll talk more about that later. I want to leave us with another poem. And at the end of the poem, what I'd like to suggest is that we have two sounds of the bell, and that we stand and we bow like we did before. Um, And then that we all leave silently and we will have our walking meditation practice. We'll gather again at 11 o'clock. So you have some spaciousness to practice stillness and silence. So this is by Neruda, this poem. 
It's called keeping quiet. Now, we will count to 12 and we will all keep still. This one time upon the earth, let's not speak any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be a delicious moment without hurry, without locomotives, all of us would be together in a sudden uneasiness. The fishermen in the cold sea would do no harm to the whales, and the peasant gathering salt would look at his torn hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars of gas, wars of fire, victories without survivors, would put on clean clothing and would walk alongside their brothers in the shade without doing a thing. What I want shouldn't be confused with final inactivity. Life alone is what matters. I want nothing to do with death. If we weren't unanimous about keeping our lives in so much motion, if we could do nothing for once, perhaps a great silence would interrupt this sadness, this never understanding ourselves, this threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth is teaching us when everything seems to be dead and then everything is alive. Now, I will count to 12 and you keep quiet and I'll go. First bell, we'll stand in front of our chair or cushion. Next bell, we'll bow to each other. And then bowing to our true nature.
gather back here. Whoops. We'll gather back here at 11 o'clock. We'll be starting with some indoor walking meditation.